previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. So I've got to tell you about the range at Columbia because last Saturday's storm tore holes in the net. Uh, oh, yeah. So as a result, you can only use irons. You're not allowed to use even okay, rescue I'm not, I can't hit that. So wait, so yeah, they, they say because you're not allowed to hit it more than 170 yards. And I said to the pro, it takes me three shots <laughs> to hit it 170. <laughs> what is your problem? The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All righty. Uh, we have gotten into what we would call the relaxed summer schedule of this podcast. And by that, I mean, I have some time off from PTI, so I'm going to try and use that. Still do some podcasts, maybe not necessarily three, week, three a week, like this week will be two, maybe next week will be two. Maybe there'll be a week with none. But I used to take off July and August. I'm not going to do that. You don't have to defend your choices. Well, yeah, I'm just saying that, that so we're in that part of the schedule where sometimes we do things a little bit differently. And today is going to be one of those shows. I may have said this on the air last week. I'm not sure if I did, but I may have said it on the air or even Monday I may have said it. That one of the podcasts I really wanted to do was an in-depth look at the United States Women's World Cup team and what happened to them. But in order to do that, and I was going to have two guests, and one was going to be Chuck Culpepper, who's in Australia. Yes. Even though he didn't cover that game specifically, he watched that game, and he's got he's just great to talk to, and he could talk all about Australia and the Women's World Cup and the reaction to the Americans losing earlier than they had ever lost, ever, of all time. But the second guest, and the more important guest for me, was going to be Julie Foudy. Julie Foudy, I believe, was a member, a starter, on a couple of Women's World Cup champions, yeah, one or two. I think two. Something like that. And she's great on television. She's just great. She's really smart. She went to Stanford. And so she was going to be the key to it. And as we finally tracked her down, we found out she was in Hawaii. Yes. And she was going to a wedding on the day that I wanted to talk to her. So we let it go. So we didn't, we didn't do that. And we're not going to ever do that. You know, we're not going to go back to that because the Women's World Cup is moving on without the United States of America. And to be honest, not being a soccer fan, uh, good luck to who's ever in it, but I'm, I'm probably not going to have right. much watching of it anymore. Maybe the final, but I don't know. Two wins in the World Cup and two gold medals. Yeah, so, so and she's, she's great. Yeah, she's and great. she is. So we missed out on that. And then we were thinking about, well, you know, what could we do? Could we do what... Michael has dubbed pop-up podcasts, which are essentially one-person podcasts, one-guest podcast for a rather extended period of time. And that has to be somebody I know pretty well and somebody I think would be fun and interesting to listen to. And because I didn't have the PTI show to do this week, I had sort of the afternoons free. And then what you think of is, well, if we're not going to do it in the morning, we could probably reach out to somebody in the West Coast, somebody who might be good. And I think it was your suggestion, right? Yes, I'm, I've been trying to get you to get out of the rut of your schedule for what feels like five years now. Uh, so it's great to hear you uh, retell the story as to how you have visions of these pop-up sort of deep dive shows well, throughout the you. summer. I think no, it's- no, I, 
it's just to, to get you off of your morning schedule. I think it just opens up a new avenue of guests. And also people are willing to talk to you in a different way if it's at, you know, a different part of their schedule as well. And it's not so much driven by a singular focus of the game last night or where we are within a tournament or what's the next, you know, what's the next big moment on the calendar. So the one that I remember most doing, we did a chatter with the Ledecky family. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was the best. That was lovely. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was a look at somebody and her parents that nobody else was going to have. And then we all rooted for Katie Ledecky, who is still, by the way, the best female swimmer in the world and by far the best of all time and breaking records all the time when she's out there. We pull up that photo a lot as we've tried to teach Bootsy how to swim. Teach with limited success. Right. Well, but, survive. You know, give survive him a little bit advance. of time. He'll be okay. I would put as a close second to that episode, the one we did with Barry Manilow. I thought that was just <laughs> yeah, <the> perfect. Manilow, <laughs> so. <laughs> so anyway, so what happened was Michael suggested, well, why don't you call Al Michaels? You know Al Michaels. You know him well. You could talk to him. And I called Al yesterday and I said, how would it, I, I wrote him a note which said, when you're awake, just, you know, let me know if you're receiving calls. And he called. And, and so we went back and forth. And so we decided that Al would be on the show. And, and I told him just, you know, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it would be. Um, and we would do it at 6 o'clock at night Eastern yesterday. We would tape it for today. Yeah. I mean, because why wouldn't you do something like that? So Al ended up on the show for 30 minutes and had a lovely time and then called me back and said, when are you going to have me on again? <laughs> and seemed to like it and seemed to enjoy it. And you're going to get, everybody's going to get to listen to that when I'm through with this open. But there are two things I wanted to talk about in the open. One is the ice cream that you told me about, McCormick's ice cream. Didn't you say McCormick's ice cream was very good? And remember. it was available at Safeway, McCormick's uh, ice cream? Okay, yeah, probably, yeah. Right? Did you, did you try it? Well, no, because Carol came back from Safeway saying that McCormick's ice cream for a pint of ice cream was $10.29. And I said, no. <laughs> no not, I'm not going there. Wow. I'm not, it, I don't care. No. Given the importance 20, of ice cream in your life, can you really put a, put a number on it? Yeah. I did. Ten twenty nine. <laughs> I did. Now you got to go back to Turkey Hill. That was, well, that's like... That's a gallon for four bucks. <laughs> right. Can't beat that. What's the but anyway, o- what they didn't the even opening? have the coffee. Okay. They only had like three or four flavors, and coffee was not one of the flavors on McCormick's. But you do have one in backup, right? The Wegmans? That I we have got? the Wegmans. I'm, I have not opened it yet. Okay. I, think, I, you know, I feel confident that that's going to be a big hit. I hope that's a big hit. But McCormick's, um, 1029 for a pint is a lot. I yeah. mean, when Hagen does flirts with $8, I even think about, wow, that seems like a lot. Let me wait for the member's price. <laughs> right, That's me, the real price. Let me wait for the member's That's price. That's like the 10 to 15% markup for all the wine at the grocery store. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so yeah, you would you go ten twenty nine for a I, pint? I will buy you this pint of ice cream because I'll make it on the back end. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it just seemed like a lot to me. How many pints of ice cream do you go through in a week? No more than two in a week. Okay, would you be willing to go down to, say, just this is a short week, we'll do one because we want to try the expensive ice cream? I don't, that does not work for me. The the sort of notion that you will amortize it in a certain way by not doing your regular amount of ice cream just so it won't seem like you've paid 
1029 for this because you're going to stretch it out over a longer period of time. It's always going to seem or, like I paid 20, 1029 for this. So steak would be the perfect example. If you look at the price of steak and the different cuts that have you know gained popularity over the years, rather than, say, having ribeyes, which is an expensive cut yes. X amount of times a month, I might say, we'll do ribeyes once a month, but we're going to make sure that it's prime. We're going to cook it the right way. And uh, that's I'm good with that. That's why I go to Hickman's. They have the most expensive and best meat in the world. And I'm fine with that, I, though I don't do it all the time. Your grandson is, has a decidedly expensive taste because he only wants to eat the rib cap off of that. Is that very right? Very nice prime steak. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Hickman's is really great. That's a little bit different. Ice cream has a That's more a daily plebeian tone to me right. than that. Should 10, be exp- 29. What are you doing? What is it made with? Gold? That seems like a lot, 1029, or am I nuts? If it's, if it's something that is regional, if it's something where you can see where that money is going into, whether it's just mm-hmm. uh, something that they're doing with the manufacturing, uh, the service that you're getting within, say, the market, or even how they're treating their employees, I'd pay it if I like it. But the big question is, do you like the ice cream? Well, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't had it. If I paid 1029 and I didn't like it. I, I might stand outside and pick it. Right, store. so we have to, I think it's time <laughs> to do it's time to go to, to do the Swiss cheese challenge with you. We have to bring back the oh, test. Yep. Yeah, yeah, taste tests various. Yeah, that or if there's like a Skippy McCormick who runs the joint, and you want to send us, you know, a case of that or a box of that. Do you remember the Hydrox Oreo challenge from a couple years back? No. Yeah, you were you were dead set against what was it? Oreos. I, I don't like. Yes, I I liked. You like, chose just, you chose the one you were not I expecting. Know, I, I chose Oreo. Unlike the Swiss cheese, where you could tell the difference. Yeah, yes, I, I, yes, I remember that. I also thought I thought you were referring to something like in an ice cream Oreo bits, which I don't. Oh, like. no. yeah, you, you don't know. That's don't not for you. Hydrox was the one I grew up with and thought was discernibly better than Oreos. And then my taste buds, but they're the taste buds of an old man. You can't go by that. So I just right. don't think we should waste the money. Ten twenty five on a pint of ice cream. Ten twenty nine. Ten twenty nine. Ten twenty five. I might have been tempted. Would you be interested in ice cream made out of acorn milk? No. So I had one other thing I wanted to talk about before we get to Uncle Big Al, which was a discussion I had. Alan and I played golf on Monday, and we were walking around, and Alan was. You know, Alan's very excited. Socialite is very excited over the new ownership of the Washington football team, which is now being called the Commanders, but whose name is going to be changed. Everyone who lives in Washington knows that that name is going to be changed. We don't know to what, but we know it's going to be changed. And Alan said, asked me if I thought there was any way that had Josh Harris and Mitch Rails and these other guys bought the Washington football team a few years back, if they could have kept the name Washington Redskins. And I said, no. I don't believe there's any chance of that. I believe that's insulting. And I believe that we should not have had it for all those years and not have it now. And that, that's my belief because he's wondered, could we change the name back to that? And I said, no, that's not going to happen. But he, then, I, then I inserted this. And I understand this is very local. And I need to let everybody know what I'm saying here, that I am too close to this to have any objectivity any distance. I was here for a lot of years when that was the name, when they were the most popular team in town by a factor of 10 million, right? When everybody wore their stuff, everybody, everywhere, all the time. So I am not objective on this. But I said to Alan that I thought that the logo they had used, the profile of a Native American, 
I thought that in a way that was honorific. I didn't think that was, for example, the caricature of Chief Wahoo with the former, former Cleveland Indians, which That's are right. now the Cleveland Guardians. I didn't think that that was sort of cloaked in a lack of respect in the way that the Atlanta Braves do the tomahawk chop, which I think's bad. I Go think, to the brew house, pick up a Coors Light. You know, I think that's bad what they do. I don't have that problem with the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I, I don't. I think that it's being done well, but I'm not Native American, and I don't know how this plays. But what I said to Alan was, I wonder if they could keep that logo on the side of the helmet provided, of course, there was a discernible way of gauging support among Native Americans for this. Not, not just screaming and yelling, oh, this guy likes it. But there was a way that made some sense. And it garnered support of like 65, 75%, because you're never going to get everything. But that where you said to yourself, this is a, not just a plurality, this is a significant majority. And it may not, it may not come to that. And again, I have no objectivity in this, none. But I wondered, and then we began to talk about what if you change the name to the Washington Americans, and it was for Native Americans. You didn't say Washington Native Americans because that would become unwieldy, but everybody knows what you're talking about. If you change the name to Washington Americans, could you do something that looked like that logo? What do you think? I think that name in particular is very difficult to protect and i think if you're the individual city team ownership you're looking what is good for the team as it relates to the overall league and i think the nfl at large has to be very protective about all of the trademarks and associations within its organization i think in terms of the there have been teams called the americans though the original aba basketball league had a team called the new jersey americans yeah so then you start to get like who has the rights of different names um, right and you know, in, ter- in terms of the imaging, I totally agree with you. There's a difference between the name itself and then there's the difference between the accepted behavior when you're thinking about the tomahawk chop, when you're thinking huh. about caricatures and how yes. those have been involved. This was not a caricature. There was so much, um, there was such a wall between any possibility of changing the name and the former ownership group that yes. there, there, there would have had to be two to three different lowerings of the, the name and, and sort of all the, the images associated with it. Before you got to the acceptance of you can now use this yes, this one face. And it could be various softenings over the years, but there'd have to be something along the ways that would get it back to the acceptance of, say, the Chiefs and uh, the respectfulness and capturing the right tone rather than, again, just getting one polling group that says, we're totally okay with this because yeah. we're taking this gift on the back end. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to achieve that. I don't know if it is achievable. I do think, and again, this is very local, that this is something that is talked about in Washington, D.C. Because but you've seen Commanders this. If you, is a terrible if you walk around, If you walk around town, you're seeing the old shirts and hats reemerging. And these yes. are even for what I would call the, the younger population than you and Alan, where we understand all the issues, and, and we've seen it a little bit uh, from, from a younger perspective, and they're still saying, well, the ownership's changed, and there's not as much vitriol around the, you know, the... Can't use that name. Yeah. No, but they're, but some of those people who, who understand that are wearing the hat and I, shirt right now. I understand. But you can't. You just, I mean, 40 years ago, I wrote a column, so I just put a potato out there. Would have solved a lot of problems. It's yes, just, it it's just because it's, it, you can't... Hey, you cook them in a variety of ways, too. You can't use that. <laughs> you can't use that. So, anyway, 
that was something that we talked about. And that's really enough of us. And so why don't I shut up and, and let you listen to Al Michaels when we return? I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is complicated. This is a song called Light of My Life. It is sung by Cal Everett. Cal Everett is one of 55 performers taking part in that Tom Petty tribute oh, right. that Ronnie Newmeyer has organized. At the Warner, right? Yeah, Saturday the 12th. That's this Saturday, this coming Saturday, 8 p.m. at the Warner Theater. The song was written by the Bandhouse co-founder Chuck Sullivan, and it's from the brand new album Behind the Mask, which is out now. It was just so complicated. It's like Tinker's Devers the Chance. It's just so <laughs> unbelievably complicated. But most important, it plays in Uncle Big Al, Al Michaels, who has threatened to be on this podcast before, but I said no because I don't want to wake him up. But in all honesty, we are taping this on Tuesday evening, and it will run in the Wednesday show. And this way, it's much easier. Al doesn't have to wake up. And the genesis of this was, as I told him in a conversation earlier today, that there are the three most, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of these things, the three most prestigious golf joints in L.A., are Bel Air, Riviera, and L.A. Country Club, right? Those are the three, right? The Holy Trinity. Okay, so... You got it. And you're a member of Bel Air, and, and just recently, L.A. North had the um, U.S. Open. Riviera has a tour stop all the time, and you're going to have, Bel Air is going to have, or is having this week, the Women's Amateur. The Women's Amateur about three years ago, right, Michael? Was it was at Woodmont around here? And so what I the, the whole idea was... What do you think of this? And are people upset because they don't get to play on their own course? Or are they happy because they got a USGA event? What do you think? Well, uh, I think it's actually taking place as we speak right now. Yeah. And they cut the field down to, I think, 60 or 64 plus ties and then play match play the rest of the week. I think the members are pretty excited about this. First of all, you see, L.A. and Riviera can host big events like that because there's enough parking and you can get in there without too much trouble, uh, even though they have to bust people in. Where Bel Air is located, you know, we're in, we're in, yeah. in Bel Air off of a, you know, a two-lane road, a, a windy road, and there's really no parking. So we can't host uh, a major event like Rivcan and 
and L.A. can. But, uh, you know, something like this is terrific. And I was out there the other day serving sort of an honorary starter for some practice rounds. How cool is that? I'm telling, well, I'm telling you, and it's, you know, it's both inspirational to watch these girls tee off. And it's also devastating because I'm thinking I will never, nor have I ever, <laughs> or will I ever have a swing right. like that. And I'm watching them finish, and I'm thinking if I did that, if I finished the way they did, I would rip every ligament <laughs> in my body yeah. they... in, in two. And uh, it's, I, I'll tell you, it's, uh, you know, you watch them, and they had uh, girls as young as four, and I think there were, there were a couple of women in there in their 60s. And just to watch their swings is it's just amazing to me. That is, and, and, when and I saw this... It's dispiriting. He's like, I'll never be able yeah. to do that. Well, you know you're never going to be able to do that. I'm never going to be able to do that. When, when I watched Rose Zhang won the U.S. girls after she had won the U.S. women's AM, she won the girls at Columbia. And when you watch them on the range, it is the most languid, perfect... Swing, it doesn't look like there's any effort whatsoever, and it's so long. That's what you're getting at, right? Because if you finish like that, your body flies apart. It, you just can't hold Absolutely. it. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I'm able to watch a lot of them on our range because we, in a, in a, in a way, serve as sort of the, like, the unofficial home course for the UCLA golf team. Oh. So the girls are out there a lot, and right. they have access to the range. And I watch them, and I'm thinking, How? How? And they're hitting, you know, like six irons, 215 yards. We're going, that's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> These days, you and I, can you get to 200 anymore? I guess you can. Yeah, in two I'm shots. <laughs> not in one. No, not in Me one. Too. Look, we had, we had a problem. I talked about this the other day. We had a big storm go through here, and it ripped the net at, uh, on the driving range at Columbia. So they said everything has to be scaled back. You can't hit long. You cannot hit. You only can hit irons, and you cannot hit them more than 150 yards. I said, "You got to be kidding! I can't hit rescues 150. I can't hit three woods 150. What are you, what are you talking about?" So no, I know I can't do anything like that. And when, but when you watch them, not only that, but they well, my sense of them was that certainly at the girls that they were all very nice. They're all very pleasant. They're all happy, right? When was the last time you were happy? I'm never happy. <laughs> You certainly not. No, me. I think I was. I was happy in like 2015 <laughs> for about 20 minutes. And before that, we go back to the uh, the uh, 1990s. Yeah. All right. So uh, let me let me. I'm moving on. I'm moving on because this kid, Kevin Brown, the play by play guy of the Orioles. Now it's possible that he will be reinstated by the time this thing airs tomorrow morning. That's that's possible. But you're a broadcaster. This is what you do for a living, and you started with baseball because everybody but Marv started with baseball. And, and what is your sense of, of this? Could he possibly be being suspended for simply telling the truth about previous records by the Orioles against Tampa Bay? From what I know and what I've read and what I've heard about this situation, and unless there's something you know, way behind the scenes that I'm not aware of, there should be a suspension here. The doofus who suspended him <laughs> should be suspended. Right. Right. It's as simple as that. Right. I mean, I can't imagine going into a broadcast and having to think about something like what I've heard he said, 
which, by the way, apparently was accompanied by a graphic. Yeah, so it was, was planned together. by a producer. It was planned. planned. Yeah. The, and, and the team, the team. it's my understanding that either the team or, or the network, uh, it came from, from their research people. And they put up a graphic, and he's explaining it. And, I mean, in a year when the Baltimore Orioles are such a terrific story. Yes. Uh, it's a, a piece in the Wall Street Journal, a great piece by uh, Jason Gay last week. I think there's a piece in the He's a in good New York writer. Times. He's very good, and he's funny. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's, he's tremendous. Yeah. And there's, I, I believe, I think Tyler Kempner may have done the story today in the New York Times about the Orioles and coming out of nowhere and how uh, they have been uh, the symbols of futility over the last few years. This is a fantastic story. And then to have something stupid like this, like suspending an announcer for two weeks, we're, we're bringing up a fact? What the hell are they, Pravda? This is absurd. So, so let, me, let me ask this question, because you started, you were a young kid when you started. Did you start with the Reds? Were you with Cincinnati when you started? Well, yeah, I did minor league baseball in Hawaii for three years, and then I did the Cincinnati Reds in 71, two or three Okay, years. so you got the big red machine. Did you, and Cincinnati right. is a small and parochial city. And right. Cincinnati, along with St. Louis, the two best baseball cities in the country. Did you ever, did anybody in management ever say, oh, you know, stay away from this or stay away from that? Or did they let you be the announcer? Well, I went in there and I, I was not a homer. And I always, you know, I patterned myself, certainly early, early in my career when I was doing baseball. Uh, and I did it the way Vin Scully did it. And Vinny, obviously, <clears throat> was rooting for the Dodgers. But he was pretty much down the middle. You know he was the Dodger announcer. Right. And I felt the same way. I wasn't going to go, you know, go Reds go or any of that stuff. I announced the game and I tried to I, I tried to play it uh, appropriately. And obviously people knew that I was I, I wanted the Reds to win but I wasn't sitting there like a cheerleader. Right. The only thing that the Reds uh, management basically told me this was in 71-2-3 when Riverfront Stadium had just opened up. And it was one of the first stadiums to have AstroTurf. And one of the reasons they wanted to go to artificial an artificial surface in those years, Tony, was the fact that there was so much rain in Cincinnati uh, during those years. And, they, and people were coming in from Louisville and Lexington and Columbus and Dayton uh, and Portsmouth. And they would make trips into Cincinnati. And they would not make that trip necessarily if they knew the weather was going to be bad. So they wanted me to emphasize that in the old days, the 60s and 50s, when you had Crosley Field and, you know, it was inundated with water and you couldn't play the game, that with the artificial surface that we might have, you know, a 90-minute rainstorm, but it would be dried off in another 10 minutes and the game would, would start again. That was really the only thing they told me um, to do. They, you know, and I knew where I could go and not go. And meanwhile, I'm in my twenties. I get a fantastic break. I'm doing the big red machine. I knew how far I could go, but certainly, you know, to have been suspended about in regard to something like this, Kevin Brown situation it's would have totally, been an absurdity. No. And, and every announcer worth his salt has come out already and said, this is terrible. And I think that Kevin Brown probably feels very buoyed by the fact that they've done that. I mean, you know, big, you know, Gary Cohn of the Mets and John Sterling of the Yankees. You know, I mean, it's sure. it's yeah, it's it's the right thing to do. I, but you know what? I, I don't know how you feel about this. Uh, I ended up, I mean, if I covered the Yankees for a two-week road trip 
or if I was in the playoffs with the Nets, and I can recall these things very specifically, I wanted them to win. That didn't stop me from writing bad stuff, but I did want them to win, right? You wanted them to win. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, you're doing a team every day, and it's a lot more fun to do a team when they're winning. And by the way, in the years when I was doing the Reds, if your team won the pennant, you got to do the World Series on NBC with Kurt Gowdy and Tony Kubek. So I'm 27 years old, Tony, and my dream came true. We win the pennant dramatically, beating Pittsburgh in a five-game series. Johnny Bench ties the game at the bottom of the ninth in game five with a home run, and then Bob Moose throws a wild pitch. And I'm doing the World Series the following Saturday on NBC with Kurt Gowdy and Tony Kubek. And I thought to myself, God, you can take me now. Just let me get through game seven. And uh, it, it was one of the all-time thrills. I've had a bunch, obviously, since then. been very fortunate to be in, in a lot of the right places at the right time. But, of course, how happy do you think I was announcing Bob Moose's wild pitch, and I'm going to do the World Series? That's great. Yeah, no, I, I, look, we all have dreams. I mean, look, you know Charlie Steiner a long time. You know him very sure. well. Charlie's 12 years old, and they say, what do you want to be? He says, I want to be the Dodgers baseball announcer. What? Mm-hmm. You know, and it comes true. I mean, all I ever wanted to be was a newspaper sports writer, and it comes true. And everything else that happens is wonderful. It's wonderful. But it's that one thing that happens where you say to yourself, that's just fabulous. Uh, I, oh, well, I you mean, know, Go ahead. Tony, I, you know, you mentioned Charlie Steiner wanting to be. The, that's his dream. That was yeah. my dream, too. Dodgers? I grew up in Brooklyn. Oh. I grew up in Brooklyn, and we moved. My, my father was transferred in his job in 1958 to Los Angeles. I never missed a beat. I, I, I heard Vinny's entire career, Vince Scully. I heard him when I was seven, and I heard him when I was in my 70s. And Vinny was you know, doing the games up until the 2015 or 16. So that was my dream was to do the Dodgers. Uh, and well, have you ever considered punching Charlie in the head and getting rid of him and doing the Dodgers? <laughs> oh, no. My, my, day, my days of doing, like, baseball every day, Tony. First of all, among, among the things that would mitigate against this, is I live about 10 miles from Dodger Stadium. In Los Angeles traffic, it would take me an hour and a half to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I understand uh, that. But I, it's, El Paseo. Those dreams are lovely. I'm done. You are best known now for many, many years doing football. Football is starting soon. I wonder about this. With the writer's strike, with the lack of new inventory on television, even with all these streaming services, the lack of new inventory on television. Do you think that's going to help all the ratings on on the network you're on, on the other networks? Do you think people are going to say, I don't want to watch reruns, I want to watch something live, and will there be a bonanza for sports? Tony, there already is a bonanza. I just spent the last three days, the Amazon people were out here and we're talking about doing Thursday Night Football this year. And some of the NFL folks came in to go through the rules changes and certain other things that we should know. And the first graphic or panel they put up uh, on the big screen when we were having this meeting yesterday with 100 people is that 88 of the top 100 shows on television were the National Football League. Sure. Sure. 88. (laughs) And that's with the writers and, and directors and everybody else working. So, I mean, how much, how many more shows of the 100? Could it be 100 out of 100? 
Yeah. I got to think somewhere along. Well, it, it, Could it be. might be. Could be. But somewhere along the line, there has to be something else. But when you have, I mean, the National Football League has conquered all. All. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. You you know that. No, it's true. Uh, it's true. The, the rate. I mean, when the national when a, when a preseason NFL game gets a bigger rating than almost every NBA playoff game prior to the finals, what are we talking about here? That's what people want it's, to see. It's what people want they, to see, and and I know that it's the shortest season in terms of length and in terms of amount of games, right. and yet, I, I mean, I will, we will on the PTI show. We'll throw football in there whenever possible over the objections of Wilbon, who wants it to be the NBA. <laughs> but when the Sean Payton thing happens, that was like manna from heaven. Are you kidding me? Sean Payton yeah. just destroys Nathaniel Hackett? We can dine out on that for three months, right, Al? That's three months. <laughs> Tony, the NFL is now a 365-day thing. People are talking about it not only during the season, but after the season. Yeah. And there's almost... No point, maybe in June or late June or early July when there's really not a lot going on, but there but there are still things out there. There are stories that are out there. The NFL trumps all. I mean, you know, yeah. it's funny because Roger Goodell came out to our, our thing, you know, to just to, to just say thanks for last year to everybody. And, and we had a big dinner for the whole gang yesterday. And I'm talking to Roger at one point last night about how, you know, baseball plays every day. They play ten times or nine and a half times as many games as football, and yet, and yet, football still in the sports sections trumps all. all. There's still more football coverage than there is baseball coverage. There's football coverage without football games, more coverage than there is of baseball, and they're playing games every night. No, it's it's, so, it's true. In fact, if I if I ran a network, and I'm sure you will agree with this. And they said to me, we'll give you whatever game, football games you want. I would say, I want the Dallas Cowboys. I don't care who they're playing. I don't care if they're scrimmaging. I want the Dallas Cowboys. That's still correct, is it not? No question. There are are teams that are national teams. Dallas certainly love them or hate them. They engender emotion. The Green Bay Packers playing in in the smallest town by far in the National Mm -hmm. Football League, a national team. Now, some of them sort of come and go a little bit like the Chicago bears have been a national team, not quite as much now because they haven't had very much success over the past few years, but that's a team that if they got hot again, they're a national team. The Pittsburgh Steelers yes. are a national team. There's no question about that. The, um, and, and, and after that you get to, well, the Patriots because of the, you know, the, the, the two decade dynasty are very much a national team because of all their, of, of their success. The Philadelphia Eagles, kind of close. But those are the teams, and certainly having been on the inside of this whole television operation with the NFL for you know, 37, 38 years now, of course, when the networks lobby for games, you can't give us Dallas enough. You can't give us Green Bay enough. You, and, then, and then it depends on how you know, other teams are faring. Like San Francisco could be one of those teams at a particular point. Seattle had a little bit of that maybe you know, 10 or 12 years ago when they got red hot. But those are the teams you want. You want Dallas. You want Green Bay. You want Pittsburgh. Uh, the New York Giants kind of come and go, obviously because of the market size and the Patriots. And those are the teams that you want as many times as you can get them. So I would ask this. This year, if you said to me, I'll give you whatever you want in the first three weeks, 
After I say Dallas, I'm then going to say the Jets. I mean, if they start 0-3, yeah. I don't ever want them again. But if they get hot early with Aaron Rodgers, then I want they want them, right? Oh, yeah, they're a story right now. And, yeah. and the yeah. Jets are going to get a lot of primetime exposure. In fact, on our schedule, the Amazon schedule, which is different, because we can get a – this year we're able to get a couple of teams – more than once, but for the most part, teams only appear one time. Yeah. But one of the teams that we're going to get twice is the Jets. Yeah. And, of course, one of those games is going to be a Friday game, which is Black Friday, you know, the day after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, the, right. Oh, my, yeah, and, and we get the Jets You'll on, get on Black enormous Friday. enormous rating. You'll get the highest number. I mean, and it's not a regular network, Amazon. It's, no, you have to, no. it's a subscription, and, and, well, but you'll get the highest gonna, ever. What they're doing, too, Tony, we get the Jets at home against Miami. So you've got a you know really great matchup for starters, and they're taking it out from behind the paywall. So to get uh, you know the Thursday night games, you have right. to be a subscriber to right. Prime Video. But all of a sudden, this sort of reminded me of when uh, you know Reagan went over to Berlin in '88 and told Mr. Gorbachev tear, tear down, down the wall. wall. Yeah, Amazon's going to tear down the paywall. Good on that on that, <laughs> on, on that particular day, so people can watch the game and do their Christmas shopping. At the same time, so Amazon. Thing. Oh, Amazon was they were you know champing at the bit to get this game, and the NFL saw the value of this game. So we get the Jets on Black Friday, and then we get them again. I think at Cleveland in the next on the next to last week. So obviously they were a team. You know, the, you know the Jets. I think are going to be the one of the primary games maybe on Monday night, the first or second week. They should be, and then. Yeah, and then they're uh, going to be on uh, CBS. Be. Now, if they fall oh, yeah. to one and five, yeah. that's different. But if they that's different. if they get hot, mm-hmm. it's a di- um, of all the things you've done. I wondered about this. Did have you ever done golf? Have you ever done the call on golf? Here, I have done four golf events. Really? So it's a great story around this. So in 1999, uh, they had something called the Showdown at Sherwood, and this was prime time at the Sherwood Country Club out here in Southern California in Thousand Oaks. And what they did is they had Tiger Woods facing David Duvall. And it was going to start at 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern, live on ABC in those years. That's where, that's where I was in 99. So in 97, uh, the Skins game is starting uh, or, or – they're having another skins game on ABC and Tiger was coming, you know, all of a sudden Tiger was red hot and they wanted me to interview Tiger at halftime of Monday night football. So I was in Miami and Tiger was in LA. And so I got on the phone with him to prep him as to what I was going to say during the interview. We did the halftime interview uh, in 97 and then we did it again in 98. Uh, So I only knew him through the two phone conversations and the interviews that we had done as two ways on television. So in both instances, I had just taken up golf in 93 or 94, you know, and I'm, we're laughing and we're talking about the people we know at Bel Air. Eddie Marins was a, a great friend of his, the fabled UCLA golf coach yeah. and Bel Air pro. And I always, as I say to everybody to this day, Tony, can you give me some swing thoughts? Give me some swing <laughs> thoughts. I love, here I am with Tiger Woods. He, you know, he's like you know, 21 at the time. So now they assigned me to do the showdown at Sherwood. And it's the Tiger against Duval. We light the last, like, four holes. This is going to get dark at, you know, like 730. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, they're going to be lighted at Sherwood. So Tiger had been uh, in Akron. I think he had been at the Firestone. He flies in 
that day. He's down on the practice screen. We're coming on the air at 5 o'clock. So I, I walked down there to meet him in person. And I walk up, hey, Tiger, how are you? He goes, hey, he says, you know, uh, good to see you. He said, how's your game? I said, uh, it's, it's, it's crappy. He goes, well, with your, your schedule, you know, you're traveling so much, you, you probably don't get to play very often. I said, Tiger, I'm just doing football, right? My biggest fear in life would be if my ultimate boss, who at that time was Michael Eisner, yeah. His ABC had been taken over by Disney. Disney. I said, my ultimate fear is that if Michael Eisner showed up at Bel Air one day and he would look at the handicap sheet and he would see my handicap is like 14 or 15, no problem. But if he looked under rounds this month for June, he would have seen 28. <laughs> and and I, Tiger, Tiger stops mid-stroke, looks up at me and says, you play more than I do. <laughs> That's wonderful. So, so I did that event, and then we took that event out to uh, the desert uh, the next three Julys, playing, you know, 108-degree heat, but lighting the course at, uh, at Bighorn. And he, the, the second time he faced Garcia, and then we did one where we had Nicholas and Trevino paired up with Garcia and Tiger. And then the last one we did in, like, oh, two or three, uh, we had Tiger with uh, Annika Sorenstam, and I think it was Sergio with Kari Webb. So I've done those. Those were the four events that I've done. That's... But, you know, ABC always wanted me to do golf, and I said, guys, I don't want to do golf. I want to play golf. Right. Because, you know, to, to do golf, you fly out on Wednesday because it starts on Thursday, and you're home on Monday. Tony, you don't get the play. Uh, that ship had sailed at that right. point. Right. That's yeah. No. That's at least they don't have you. What is that? The thing you used to do, the Battle of the Network Superstars. Did you do that oh, at everything. one point? Tony, I've I've done the Battle of the Stars, Superstars. I've done motorcycles on ice. I've done high diving off a platform 156 feet above a, a pond in Ocala, Florida. Huh. I've done the Demolition Derby. I've done my first assignment when I saw. You didn't ever do Big Daddy Dan Don Garlitz, did you? You didn't do funny cars. Or no, I junk. never. I know I never did drag racing or Shirley Muldowney. No, no, never did that. <laughs> never did that. But I did my 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 first ever assignment. I signed full time with ABC in 1977, and I can't wait for the assignments to come out. And I've never been to Europe, and I can't wait to see. You know, where am I going to go? And the my first ever assignment at at uh, ABC was on Wide World. The World Barrel Jumping Championships in Northbrook, Illinois. Yeah. Who wouldn't Chicago. want to do that? <laughs> exactly. Who wouldn't and want to do course, that? Uh, and, and, my, and my friends are, you know, kidding, kidding me. Oh, you're go, you're really going to the big time now, aren't you? So <laughs> I said, hey, listen, you know, they could assign me to regional barrel jumping. Got <laughs> you got the national. Jumping. You didn't have to. You didn't have to work your way up. You've got the most right. famous call in the history of sports. Do you believe in miracles is the most famous call in the history of sports? I've made that decision. Nobody is going to argue with me. But there is a reasonable question to ask. As that game winds down, and you, the United States is winning that game, now how much of your mind said, wow, what, what will I say? Do I have a close? Do I have something great? Is this going to work? Or did it just pop in totally organically? Tony, I was working. I've never worked in a more intense state of concentration. Because, I mean, that was a, a crazy game on every level. Yes. Soviets led one to nothing. We tied the game. Soviets led 2-1. We tied the game with the clock showing all zeros with Mark Johnson's goal at the end of the first period. They pull the Goldie Trediak, bring in Michigan as the goalie. Second period, 
Soviets dominate, dominate. And Jim Craig stands on his head to make every conceivable save. And the Soviets lead 3-2. So it's 3-2 with about 11 and a half minutes to go in the third. And we tie the game on a Johnson goal. Wow. So we've now overcome three leads. Yeah. Right? And and, and then Ruzioni, Michael Ruzioni scores at the exact 10-minute mark. So all of a sudden now the crowd is going crazy. You can imagine. Sure. We are on a platform in the front of the balcony because it was a small, a small arena, seven or 8,000 people are in there. And I mean, it's shaking. It, I mean, I'm, look, I did the earthquake in 1989. This was shaking. I was with you. I was with you, you in the earthquake. You, yeah, you, I was there. you were there in 89. Yep. You know what it felt like. Yep. It, it felt it, it was even crazier on that platform in Lake Placid. The crowd is going crazy. The truck was going crazy. The production truck, they're yelling everything in my ear. And all I thought about was call the game call the game and the soviets kept putting the pressure on so i i I was like a horse with blinkers looked straight ahead didn't let anything distract me i mean you can feel you can feel the crowd and even even the 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 technicians on the platform you know they're moving around and the truck is yelling and i'm i'd never worked in a more intense intense state of concentration so i never had time to think about that and how stupid would this have sounded if i'm ready to wind up a line and then the Soviets would score to tie the game right, right, last right, few seconds, right, right. which could have happened. So what happened was, I mean, the game is winding down. I'm just calling it, you know, pass by pass, shot by shot. And then I got very lucky in the sense that with about six seconds to go, now the Soviets couldn't put any more pressure on because the puck is now coming out the center ice. No time for them to mount another attack. And then what I said came out of my heart and my fiber, period. I mean, first of all, this was like, it couldn't have happened. It couldn't have happened. And th- th- I think maybe the, the the word that might have popped into my brain at that point was miraculous, which got morphed into a question. Do you believe in miracles? And I answered it with an, an emphatic yes. And Tony, if you were to have asked me right afterwards, what did I say? I'm not sure I could have told you because at that moment in time, I'm, I'm just concentrating on, on on every on every pass on every shot on everything that's going on in the game. So you know, and, and it, you know, as, when you think about it too, Tony, if you're going to put a coda on a game, uh, that was one of the few games in the history of broadcasting where you know that 99.9 percent of your audience is going the same way you're exactly. going. Exactly. So when, when I say that exactly. out of my heart and my fiber. I'm going, you know, and then I'm thinking, you know, later on I thought, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I have 99.99% of the audience, and whoever's not rooting for the U.S. are a bunch of, like, KGB agents <laughs> that are maybe sequestered in, in Illinois somewhere, it's, right? It's the, it, it is the, it's the greatest call. You've got, you got that, you know. I mean, you don't have to say, and now I'm sending it to Michael Wilbon, you know. You don't have to do that. I mean, you, you've got this ready. Thank you. You passed the audition. Thanks for being on, and I'm glad we didn't have to wake you. Thank you, <laughs> Uncle Big Al. Uh, Tony. I'll talk to you. Yeah, hey, that, that's it. End that's of story, it. right? That's nope, it. You're not putting the code on this thing? No. Well, yeah, we'll do it in post-production, and I'll sound smart. You know, I love I, it. I can't do it now. I'm not that good. Thank you, Al. When are we doing this again? Uh, oh, well, I can do it any time you want. I'm just not waking you up. I'm not going to wake you up to do it. Next time Tony. we do something in the evening, I'll do it again. I promise. Tony, audio tape was a great invention. Yeah, I should use it. I should use it. All right, be good. I'll talk to you. Be good. Bye-bye.
Al Michaels, boys and girls. How's that? Huh? That's Al Michaels. We will take a break and uh, we'll go, we'll do mailbag and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Get your emails, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Mr. Tony's mailbag. I want to read some for all of your folks. Thank you, Darius. Darius Rucker, appreciate that. Bethesda Bagel ad. Oh, yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. That's going to do it for us today. But before we get to the mailbag, let me say I thought love was only true in fairy tales, meant for someone else, but not for me. Love was out to get me. That's the way it seemed. Disappointment haunted all my dreams. Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. Not a trace of doubt in my mind. I'm in love. I'm a believer. I couldn't leave her. If I tried. Now, that's the monkeys singing yes. that song. I believe Neil Diamond wrote that song. Written by Neil Diamond. Yeah, I yes. believe Neil Diamond wrote that song. Yes. And I haven't thought about this song in quite some time. Thanks to our guest today, our dear friend, Uncle Big Al, Al Michaels. Thanks to our sponsors today, Game Time, MeUndies, and Trade Coffee. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. I know we have a different schedule coming up, so let yes. me remind you. New Johnny Oko, TK Power Up. We finally got the power and oh, cable yeah. oh. operating at full strength. <laughs> Carol hasn't moved a muscle in a week plus. Right. TK Power Up. I know it. Uh, it's still mid-August, but we're having some cool mornings, so check out their lightweight hoodies. Yeah. Perfect for these transitional days. Down the road. I want those lined pants. I hope they make <laughs> oh, them. Oh, like the year. tailgater. I hope they make them. No, the built-in to walk the dog. The oh, I thought you pants. wanted the um, the shorts with the built-in bottle opener, like Creedon. No, Creedon's got that. I'm leaving that for Creed. <laughs> this comes from Mark Monteith. I am trying to reach Tony on the telephone to gather information for a book I'm researching on the Pacers ABA championship teams. His name comes up comes up because he wrote a story for Newsday on Rick Mount. For those of you who don't know Rick Mount. He went to Purdue, I believe. He was a great jump shooter. He was a, a, an ABA star in the early days. Uh, Rick Mount making a trade request during the 1972 ABA finals between the Pacers and Nets. I've read what he wrote, but would like to get further info on it. I covered the Pacers for the Indianapolis Star from 1996 to 2008. Not sure if Tony knows of me, just hoping to get a few minutes on the phone with him. Not a big rush. I have a long way to go on the book. Mark Monteith. I can't help you. This is the, I don't remember this even at all. Yeah. Even at all. So uh, whatever I wrote is what I knew at the time, and I don't know anymore. And unless you put me into a deep trance, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just not going to be able to help. Or if there's so some, good luck with the book, but if, I'm not going to be able to help. If there were some song lyrics around that Pacers Yeah, but team. I don't have it. I, I remember Rick Mount. Yeah. I remember him very well. He was a great jump shooter. That's what I remember. And my thanks to Ben Carton and his family for a very nice note. Now... From Horatio, I never knew Martha's Vineyard was a real place. I always thought people were vacationing in Martha Stewart's mansion. <laughs> From Mike Corey in Rochester Hills, which I think is in Michigan. Well, let me check. I don't know. 
To hear Wilbon carry on about the magnificence of Martha's Vineyard, I can only assume you cut out the portion of the interview where he declared that it is actually a Midwestern city. From Bill Bardo in Columbus, Ohio, about Martha's Vineyard. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point. uh, Rochester Hills, Michigan, yes. That's what I I thought. you had that. Uh, From the Reverend David Howell, senior minister at the First Congregational Church of Palo Alto. Dear Dr. Humane Letters, I owe you an apology. I'm deeply sorry for all the terrible things I said to and about you when you would disparage our beloved Pac-12, now Pac-4 as of this writing. I combine words that should not be used by a person in my profession, and they should especially not be directed towards such a paragon of level-headedness, even if I only shouted them at the television. When you called our conference a total disaster that was going down the drain, I thought it was just I-95 bias rearing its ugly head, but I believe you had that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I had that. I told you it was, it was a dying animal at the side of the road, and the Big Ten was picking at the carcass to see what it could take away. And I was right. From Patrick Smith, number 62, of course, in Annandale, Virginia. We've completed 2,500 miles in one 16-hour ferry ride. We met up with Little's Adam Benson and Catherine O'Neill in St. John's, Newfoundland, for the summer of Little's Five. We're now headed to Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, to meet up with Kristen LeBlanc, number 176. I just heard the email sent by Dylan Ward from Lubeck, Maine. We will be driving through Lubeck, Maine on Friday, August 11th. So that's in a couple of days, right? As we make our way home to Virginia, please tell Dylan Ward we would love to meet him for lunch at Small Town Takeout at 1230 on August 11th. I'll be the person wearing the Calvert Woodley shirt. I can't believe I'm actually doing this, but I'm doing this. Jonathan Zadravec, who is the grandson of Marty Zad, who for many years was the sports editor of the Washington Post and who I met the other day. And he says, my name is Jonathan Zadravec, yes, son of Marty Zad, whose email you read and grandson of Marty Zad, who you knew. I was listening to the Trusty Thumbs episode, that's about Bootsy, and was very interested in your segment talking about the legends. I caddy at Columbia. One day there was a man was added as a fifth to play with the legends who I was assigned to caddy. Throughout the round, I started talking more and more to the legends, but the best moment of my caddying career happened on 16. There was a left pin position, and Steve had um, ended up on the back left fringe with a 15-foot straight downhill putt. Once I finished reading my guy's putt, I went over to help Steve out with his. And as I'm walking over, he asked me what my handicap is, to which I replied, two. He then hands me his putter and says, here you go. Now, I'm a lefty, so I step up to the ball with a Scotty Cameron facing backwards, and I'm practically shaking on the takeaway. But as I hit the putt, it trickled out of the fringe, down the left side, turned back right, and went in. We were all cheering so loud the clubhouse could probably hear it. (laughs) After that, on the walk-ups to the 17th tee box, Al Serafino turns to me and says, hey, Jonathan, are you free on Tuesday? I could barely get the word yes out. That was my first time getting requested. Well, that was amazing. My favorite thing is to talk sports, and I'm hoping to be like you in my future. But for now, I hope maybe Lee matches us up at some point in the future. I'll tell Lee to bring you out. I'd love to chat with you the whole way around. Drains it. From Taylor (laughs) backwards with the putter the other way. And Jonathan, how are you in the traps? You know, it was a left to right or so it probably helped. (laughs) Yeah, it was left to right from that position. If it's straight downhill, it means that the pin is on the... As you face the hole deep left side. So, oh, no. No? Don't you think? I was just giving the name of the hole. Oh. oh I like oh, to no, work that yeah. in to see if you get the references, yeah. and you never do. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> From Taylor in Sacramento, thought you might find it interesting that earlier this year, Rory McIlroy set a world record by driving a golf ball 255 yards off the tee. Oh, I should mention, he did this with his putter. Maybe you should give that a shot. What have you got to lose, right? Did you know that? He showed up in his workout clothes to the players' meeting. Did you know that? That he, that he did that? He did that? He hit a sure. 
You didn't know. I'm more impressed that he hits the driver 400 plus yards <laughs> at will in majors. Yeah. From Jennifer Veselik uh, in Last Alexandria, Virginia. That's brilliant. A follow-up to previous email from Mark Hughes in Ashton, Maryland will hopefully dispel some of your skepticism about transporting ice cream. As someone who lives in Alexandria, Virginia with parents that live in Millsboro, Delaware, I'm a frequent traveler over the route from the DMV to the Delaware beaches. This naturally makes me a frequent customer of Vanderwen's Farm Creamery off off Route 404. Yes. I'm also the daughter of an ice cream-loving Marine Corps veteran who never misses an opportunity to remind me that proper planning prevents poor performance. Say that five times. With my credentials stated above, I can confirm that a properly insulated cooler and some strategically placed ice packs will in fact successfully transport Vanderwen's ice cream from their Greenwood location to one of the many Delaware beaches that line the coastal highway. Now, you should expect some melting to occur, but a quick transfer to your home freezer will bring the ice cream back to its proper consistency for you to enjoy, most likely while standing over your sink. While I know your first choice will always be coffee ice cream, might I suggest my dad's flavors of choice, butter pecan and maple walnut. Let's be honest, though, you can't go wrong with any flavor Vanderwens has to offer. If I'm lucky enough to have this read on the air, may I ask you to give a shout-out to one of the newest littles, my mom Gretchen, who's now a frequent listener of the pod. Best of luck on your ice cream adventure. So what would you say I should do? Well, I think you should invest in a real cooler. We've got to do a pre-chill before you're going to open it up. Right. Yeah. So if you, if you put ice cream into a cooler that's just been baking in the backseat of your car, yeah, no, no amount of ice soup. is going to keep that that's, cold enough. That's yeah. sort of what I think. But if you, if you come out with a couple of freezer packs and let it chill the entire way there and then have a fresh pack for the, for the remainder of the ride, you're good to go. Maybe I'll do that. But not your little, uh, your little lunch pail. No, that's we, the thing I usually use. Yeah, we've got to upgrade that. From Patrick Sitter in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Just in case your recent turkey club sandwich experience prompts you to abruptly retire, I wanted to send you a note of thanks before it was too late. When your radio show ceased on ESPN, it was like a death in the family. There was a void. I cannot tell you how elated I was after a period of time to discover, thanks to the Google machine, your program had resurfaced on a DC radio station. It was like you had died and then rose from the dead, even though you're not from that side of the street. The podcast has been a godsend. I'm very grateful for it and very grateful for all the wonderful conversation you, Nigel, Michael, and all your guests provide, even Salissa. The fact that you've read some of my emails on the show has been a bonus. I'm glad I've been able to add some levity to the proceedings. Thanks again. P.S. Now crossing, send thank you note to Tony off my bucket list, (laughs) which is very nice. And from David Grossberg in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. A few days ago, my wife and I went past what was, until very recently, a lovely family farm, only to find it had been bulldozed and replaced with hundreds of identical townhouses. As we drove sadly along, I noticed that an entirely new street has been created, and the sign read, and I read the sign out loud, Argo Drive. Argo, Argo, my wife snapped. What kind of name is that? What does it even mean? The next three words out of my mouth landed me firmly in the doghouse, and no amount of explaining would get me out. Where's Alan Arkin when you need him? He's gone to yeah. the great beyond. Yeah, he's not signing He's anymore. gone to the great beyond. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone is always do wear what. What does Argo mean? I don't know. You don't know? It means Argo f- yourself.
Hey!